We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We are the men from Moto, and you're listening to episode 56. You're the one that I want. My name is David Seville, and I have Travis Sowers on the line with me. How are you, sir? I'm handsome, David. How are you? Great. Uh, feeling musical today, are we? A little musical. A little musical, yeah. Okay, that's great. Um, this week is awesome. So we mentioned last week that uh, on Magic Online, in the announcements, that they said that uh, we're getting Theros flashbacks this week. So that means that this episode is 100% Theros preview is probably the wrong word. Uh, re-review is probably also the wrong word. Review. Let's just say it's it, it's a set breakdown for uh, for the people that are going to be diving into the flashback leagues. Um, and let's tell let me, I'm going to tell you right now. Theros is a lot of fun. I was looking back over these cards today. You did a, a full review on stream card by card. And uh, holy cow, right in the nostalgia, it hit me. Yeah, it's kind of weird to think that the set came out in 2013. Like we're we're getting old, man. Yeah, I turned 40 not too long ago, dude. Uh, I I am now officially old. But looking back, this is five years ago when this set was out. Uh, so yeah, it's nostalgia. Yeah, and as I was saying, this was like the first set that I really cut my limited teeth on. Um, I went back to try to find some old draft videos. Spoiler alert: I did, and I'm not sharing them with people. Um, <laughs> and uh, but uh, I'm really looking forward to this one. I'm going to play at least two or three for sure, um, and probably the whole week if I uh, don't blow through all my play points next week. So really looking forward to it. As soon as these are up, I'm going to begin drafting them and I'm not going to do anything else on magic online until they are gone. This is what I'm doing for a solid week. So buckle in. Did they say what day it was? Is it like Wednesday next week? It's Wednesday after downtime. Perfect. So uh, I look forward to seeing how many awesome white heroic decks you build. Sold. Give me the Wingsteed riders. We're good to go, man. Uh, so let's just dive into it. Let's take the, the most, most of our time here to spend on, on Theros. Uh, let's start with some archetypes. So, um, where, where can we go in our Theros draft? Where does the draft guide us archetype wise, would you say? So I think archetype wise, all of the color pairs have something going for them. Although there's some that you're going to see far more than others. Um, let's, let's break it down by the heroic decks, which focus on the keyword heroic Heroic says, whenever you cast a spell that targets this thing, do something. It can be draw a card. Uh, it can be put a plus one, plus one counter on it. It can be target creature your opponent controls can't block. There's a lot of variations on that. But you find this mechanic predominantly in red, white, and blue. So Jeskai colors. It does also appear on a few rares in black. And it appears on some cards in green, but the effect, in my opinion, isn't really worth it on the green card, so you're not quite as excited about it. So typically you'll see some Jeskai heroic deck, usually red-white or red-blue. So those are, are two archetypes that we can kind of start off looking at. Sounds great. So what are the key things in your heroic deck? Um, you, you said that they're red-white, red-blue. 
Um, I kind of seem to remember that it was mostly white based, and that's because of the really good, cheap, costed uh, heroic cards in white. There was the Phalanx Leader, I believe, which was white, white for uh, a 1 1 that pumped your team when you targeted it. Correct. It gave your team plus one, plus one counters. Counters, yeah. And then there was also the one drop, the um, favorite hoplite. Favorite hoplite. So white had some very aggressive ones. Um, but what what are the differences between the three kind of heroic colors here? So I, I, I need to get into, before we get there, just quite, is one of the other mechanics, which is bestow, which is kind of the glue that held this format together. All of the bestow creatures, with the exception of, of one black one, were very good. Like they were either just good to great and how this worked were they were enchantments and creatures. You could either cast them as a creature or spend an extra amount of mana and cast them as an, an aura. So we'll use one for an example, which is Heliod's Emissary. It's three and a white for a three, three elk. When it attacks tap target creature and opponent controls. So this is similar to the territorial hammer skull that we've seen recently in Ixalan. It attacks, you tap one of their dudes, you get in or you can spend six in a white and cast this as an aura on one of your creatures. That creature gets plus three, plus three, and gains that ability of when it attacks, tap something. When that creature dies, instead of this aura going to the graveyard, it falls off into the 3-3 creature. So you'll see bestow on a lot of cards. Again, all of them are good. But what this meant was you're going to have some number of creatures in your deck, if you're lucky, four or five, that are auras and creatures, depending on when you draw them. And if you have that heroic dude or dudette in play and want to cast something on it, you'll have no shortage of ammunition to do that. So like all of that combined with combat tricks, some playable auras by themselves, and then all these bestow creatures means you're never really running out of stuff to target your dudes with. Um, And then to get back into answering your question, the theme, generally speaking, in white was I get permanent counters on my dudes when I target them. In blue, you would often get a blue-style effect of either draw a card or tap one of your opponent's creatures. It doesn't untap during the next untap step. And then in red, there were some red-based um, things that you would expect. I think one of the better ones was target creature can't block this turn. Um, a lot of people were trying to kind of put a bunch of enchantments on one creature, so usually getting one blocker out of the way was kind of a big deal. And then you'd also see some stuff like, you know, burn your opponent whenever you target this. Mm-hmm. But I think the white ones were generally the ones that got you into these decks. And then you'd play some of the other stuff just to have sort of extra targets. Yeah, just to make sure that you had a a deck that you could play. Mono white was pretty rare. Um, you might be able to sneak a mono, right, mono white deck uh, in the in the flashbacks if you're playing against people that are inexperienced. Um, but those white one and two drops, the really good ones usually went fairly quickly. Those two that Dave mentioned and then Wingsteed Rider was the third one. We've talked about this a couple times, but I feel like I should read the card. Uh, one white white for a 2-2 flyer. Whenever you target it with a spell, it gets a plus one, plus one counter. So yeah. again, just bestowing something onto this, you get whatever the bestow creature had plus that. And there was also, oddly enough, a cycle of cycling enchantments that if you're coming to this format, I, I'm going to read the white one, but if you're coming to this format, from formats of of recent times, you would look at these and think they're pretty garbage, but chosen by Heliod was one in a white enchant creature. When this enters the battlefield, draw a card enchanted creature gets plus O plus two. 
Like you would look at this card and there's a version of it in all the colors and think it's not particularly good. But if you just need something to stick on your dudes and you didn't quite get there with bestow creatures, this is great to cast on a Wingsteed Rider. This is great to cast on a favored Hoplite. You just want something to cast on them so that you can get that first counter and kind of have them snowball from there. That's the key with these uh, the white-based heroic decks is that getting that first target in and starting to snowball from there was usually the most important thing. Um, the ordeals, I think, went a long way oh. to do that. And quite frequently, I would lose a game or win a game where I went, you know, one drop into two drop into ordeal of something. And then usually it didn't matter what that ordeal was because it was just going to get popped the next turn and I was getting my maximum value off of it. So the ordeals, what they were, were they're like quests for your creatures. Um, once every time you attacked, you put a plus one, plus one counter on it. And then when it had three or more plus one, plus one counters, you sacrificed the enchantment and got some kind of uh, bonus. The the green one, uh, you searched up two lands. The blue one, you drew a couple of cards, things like that. I think the white one maybe gained you life. Ten life. Um, the black one had your opponent discard two, and the red one was three damage to target creature or player. So there you go. And and a lot of those effects are are good or great, but really where they sh- they they shine were um, with the getting kind of this turbocharged creature out on turn three or turn four. So I believe the green one, actually I should look at this as we're talking about it. I believe the green one was a, was a two drop, right? Yeah, they're all two drops. They're all, okay, I thought there were three. So you would go one drop into ordeal and if your opponent had nothing, if they didn't play anything till turn three, you basically already had a five, five and you were, you know, drawing two cards or you had a five, five and you were dealing three damage to their three drop or something like that. Like there was a lot of, um, snowball the effects early if you didn't have any way to interact with those things mm-hmm. so. the ordeals were at uncommon and all of them were exceptional you you wanted to pick them early and often one of the defining features of this format which i normally is something that makes me not like a format but this was done so well that it didn't bother me is the removal's pretty bad you're not just going to destroy your opponent's creatures willy-nilly. You're going to have a few removal spells in your deck. They're going to be conditional and not particularly good, and you're going to need to be sparing about when you use them. Dave and I talked some last week about what makes a good draft format, and for me, the biggest thing I wanted was Mana Sinks, and Bestow does exactly that. It's a lot of flexibility on a card. You have a card that you can cast for three mana or Bestow for five, so you've got some real choices in your card about how you want to use it. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of mana sinks though, the other mechanic, uh, that we should talk about here is monstrous. So monstrous is a one-time ability on your creature. Uh, it'll have a number associated to it. So like, let's say monstrous three, you pay the mana cost, uh, at instant speed. And what you would do is you would put a number of plus one, plus one counters on the creature. And then sometimes you would get an effect out of it. So there's your other mana sink. There are, are creatures that have monstrous of, uh, values of six or seven or eight or, or however many mana. Um, and they were always, the effects were always good. The creatures themselves might not have been good, but, um, you know, if you were activating monstrous because you had nothing else to do on your turn, it was like drawing half a card or, 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 uh, getting some kind of effect in, in a, in a turn where you top deck a land or something like that. So, um, most of the monstrous cards are playable. And if you're playing a monstrous card, you're, you're hoping you can activate it at some time. So you were mentioning on stream earlier, that's sometimes a reason to play 18 lands if you're looking for an excuse to play more lands and not get uh, screwed. Flooding mm-hmm. out is okay with Bestow and with Monstrous in this format. Yeah. So there were times where I would play 18 or 17 in a Traveler's Amulet with a Splash. Um, those cycling enchantments will find you more lands, assuming you have creatures to target with them. 
uh, so they can get you out of some mana screw too. So I, I, I tended to play more lands than less. You could do hyper-aggressive red-white decks here, uh, but even then I was still looking for 17 lands because I still had some bestow creatures that I wanted to play on there. And I, I think it's worth pointing out before we move on from kind of like the white-based heroic decks, at least two other cards to to really discuss here. One being God's Willing. Oh, like, yes. This this card is responsible for me winning and losing more games of Theros Limited than I think any other card in the format. It's one mana for an instant. Target creature you control gains protection from the color of your choice until end of turn. Scry one. Because so many of the white creatures would get a bonus when you targeted it with a spell, this was usually plus one, plus one, and indestructible scry one, which was enough to win you a lot of combat tricks. And then the plus one, plus one stuck around. And it was so cheap, you could hold it up for just one white. You could also do weird shenanigans like they're at eight, you've got an eight, eight, and their only blockers are green. Well, cool, you're just dead. Because that's how protection works. We don't see that very often in modern sets. It's also worth noting that if you have a white creature with a white bestow creature attached to it, and you need to give your dude pro-white with God's willing, the bestow creature will fall off because it can no longer target it. But you're still probably right to do that to save your dude in most cases. But it's just a a super flexible, like, negate, win a combat trick, put a counter on my dude. It does so much. Like, I would happily play three of these in any white heroic deck. Uh, At least I would play them in any white deck, period. Even if I didn't have... uh a lot of heroic i think just the fact that you can blank your opponent's removals or if you have death touch creatures in like white black you know now your death touch creature has two or three lives it's it's kind of great yeah it was just a really strong card and then there's a, a cycle of these all sayeds they're basically three mana um bestow dudes uh the white one is observant all sayed two and a white for a two two vigilance or you can bestow it for five and i just wanted to bring this up because like if we're trying to build a big creature, this is a solid base to bestow other things onto because you get that vigilance. Or if you've already got your battle cruiser going, you can just plop this on top of it, and all of a sudden it has plus two, plus two in vigilance. The the bestow guys were deceptively good when you cast them as an aura because you're essentially giving that power and toughness haste because it's it's often creating a, an attack that you didn't have previously, and especially one with vigilance or like. The the blue one gives flying, the the red one gives first strike, the I, I can't remember exactly what the green one does, it gives reach. Reach. Um the only bad one was the black one, which gave intimidate, uh, because it cost four on the front side. It was a little bit too expensive to play, so that one usually went late. But like the the black one out of this cycle is the only bestow creature that I didn't wasn't excited to play. All of the others I'm like, heck yeah, we got this. I'm, let's go. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so and we'll get a little more into it as we get into some specific cards, but um the white I expect the white heroic based decks to be highly sought after in these drafts. Yeah, anybody that knows what they're doing uh will be interested in drafting that. Yeah. Um so next up on my list I've got kind of a a blue green uh evasion style deck. Um and the and the reason it is basically you're playing um there's a there's a blue green or a blue a green with a blue activated ability with unblockable um, and then you've got uh, the blue bestow creatures that either give flying or whatever unblockable and things like that. Um, so what you're looking to do here is you're looking to assemble, you know, decent creatures in green, maybe decent creatures in blue, and then obviously battle cruisering them up and flying over your opponent or trampling over your opponent or whatever they are. Um, and just kind of looking to value out using your two, your inherent two for ones with these bestow creatures. 
Yeah, and I mean that that was kind of the trick. Like uh the the green common bestow creature was a two two for two, or you could bestow it for three and it gave reach. And then the blue one was a wind drake, or you could bestow it for five and it gave plus two plus two in flying. So whatever order you drew those cards in, as long as you drew both of them, you'd built a four four flyer that your opponent has to deal with. Uh the blue bestow uh wind drake was just a hugely powerful card here. And obviously it paired best with creatures that were just huge anyway. So you could launch them in the air and green gave you access to those. So that's often what you were looking to do with this deck was just give large creatures flying and send them in. A medium replacement was a card called Aqueous Form, which was blue for an enchant creature. Enchanted creature can't be blocked whenever it attacks scry one. So you could just cast that on a big creature and then, you know, your opponent either deals with it and sort of two for one you. After you've got a couple scries in, so maybe you got your value back, but you know, you, you'd be careful with this one when you cast it, but you could get some big hits in and finish them off. And then I believe it was Horizon Agent was the one you were mentioning, which is a three, two for three, mm-hmm. and then you uh in green, and then you can spend two in a blue to make it unblockable. It may not look like it, but that can close out a game, especially if you bestow something on it and make it five power unblockable, it, it'll finish somebody off. Well, sometimes you're going to get board stalls, especially with uh, some of the big green monsters creatures. I'm thinking Nessie and Asp and things like that, where you just got a bunch like I've got 30 power on my side. You got 30 power on your side and we can't attack because of the the magic power of having uh, toughnesses greater than powers. Um, it's just impossible to attack through. This can close out a game in that scenario where you're both top decking as well. So, um, yeah, don't don't uh, don't sleep on those cards. Um, I don't think it's the best uh, archetype uh, blue green but um certainly you I can do. get a I very good deck. with you there you think it's the best one i definitely think yeah. a white-based heroic i think the white-based heroic ones were probably better but obviously those are going to be overdrafted so maybe that maybe that knocks it down a notch because you're never going to get the good deck in that in that uh format but i think a good blue white heroic deck will beat a good blue green evasion deck kind of every day of the week so the reason I would think not, and like this card can obviously go in the blue-white heroic deck too, but Voyage's End is here as a two-mana bounce spell. It's one in a blue for an instant, return target creature to its owner's hand, scry. You can get all of those counters off of the stuff that your opponent has played. So like we're used to bounce spells being pretty good in most limited sets, and we've seen them be actively good in the Ixalan block. This was almost better than removal in Theros. Like I would rather have this than a six mana kill anything spell because this just effectively does the same job and knocks all the the bestowed stuff off. But the the one thing that green had going against those heroic decks was Nessie and Asp. Uh, It's a five mana four five. There was also a two mana ramp card in green that you played quite often, the Voyaging Seder. So slamming that on turn four, if, if I could pull that off, was a huge stop sign. And once I could get them to stop attacking, I'm, I'm going to kill them in the air eventually. Um, but I think the two decks are very close, but like uh, the blue green deck was my favorite deck in this format. Okay. That's fair. Um, so we, we talked about monstrous a bit. Um, I guess another archetype you could call, if you want to call it an archetype is the red green monsters deck, quote unquote. And really that just does the red green thing of uh, I'm going to make big dumb creatures and hit you with them. Like that's generally what it was. There's also potentially a green sub theme of devotion there. Um, but that was really not as pronounced, I, I don't think, um, as, as it probably should have been in this format. So really the uh, the devotion where you would get that is with the uh, the one four that would tap for mana, which wasn't necessarily a very good card on its own, but it would tap for, if you had a lot of green cards, obviously, it would tap for uh, green for um, 
your devotion to green basically. And uh, devotion, by the way, just a quick aside. Yeah, it's it's a mechanic that uh, counts how many pips you have of each color. So if you have something that cares about your devotion to green, it's how many green mana symbols do you have in play, counting up all of your cards. So one of the cards Dave is mentioning is a four mana creature that taps for green mana equal to the number of green mana symbols you have in play. It counts itself. So it'll at least tap for one. And then if I've got four other green mana symbols in play, I can tap this one dude and get five mana. Mm hmm. And I think uh, I remember seeing that sometimes is where people would draft these big monstrous style decks. Maybe they got a Polychronos or something like that. And you would try to to go wide on or go big on the devotion, either with uh, enchantments or with with creatures and try to, you know, turbocharge your monstrous. Um, didn't always pay off because the one four I thought was pretty bad if you didn't have a lot of green on the board like if you if your opponent was being vigilant about removing your creatures or you just didn't curve out very well it was kind of a dud card um but definitely going big in red green there's a lot of uh, good green and red commons with very good monstrous abilities um that played really well together for sure for sure and, and you got good combat tricks in red and green and like the, the removal in this set again is kind of bad but there's a three mana fight spell in green along with big creatures so that actually turned into a way to deal with stuff. Green also has a 1-1 death touch for one, uh, which played out particularly well in this format at, at blocking stuff on the ground or as being a base to bestow upon. Because like once you've got a 1-1 death touch, if you can give that, you know, plus two, plus two in vigilance, all of a sudden you've made a real creature. Mm -hmm. um, and like these archetypes are always going to be mixed. If you're playing red-green monstrous, you're still going to have a couple of the red heroic creatures you're still going to have some good combat tricks to atta attach to them. And you're probably still playing those cycling enchantments just to kind of churn through your deck. Um, the, the last mechanic that we haven't covered was scry, which is an evergreen mechanic now, but it wasn't then. So you'll see this sprinkled out on a lot of cards as this was kind of considered a mechanic for this set. Yeah. There was a lot of scry in this set, which was kind of sweet. I forgot. I take for granted that it's evergreen now, but you're right. That was just the, the first set. Um, or immediately after the set, I think they made it evergreen, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was shortly thereafter. But because there's so many cards with Scry, you're again not going to get flooded quite as often. So it's kind of okay to sneak that extra land in there or at least feel confident playing 17. Mm -hmm. um, other archetypes we should mention, uh, there's a Black-Red Minotaur tribal deck. Uh, we were talking about this on the mic check, but um, it, didn't, it didn't feel like it had a ton of support. So there's a, a Black-Red Minotaur Lord that would, um, similar to the Neckbreaker, uh, Dire Fleet Neckbreaker in, in Rivals of Ixalan, it would give attacking Minotaurs plus two plus zero. Um, the problem with the Minotaur deck that I had is that there weren't a ton of Minotaurs. Um, they were they were fine cards for the most part. Like, you got your typical two, three for three in black, and there was a, a red one that, uh, that you could regenerate for black mana or two in a black mana or something like that. There was a really aggressive one that got... Um, plus two plus zero in haste when it attacks. So I think it attacked as a four, three on its first turn. So four, two, and then or it four, was a two, two, two when left over there's borderland minotaur and there is an additional minotaur Lord at rare in red. That's right. There is. Um, so like if you can get there, I think it's a good deck. And then obviously you get the, the decent removal in, in black and red. Um, but it's more like a secondary theme, I would say to the set um, because it didn't, yeah. there were, there were some missing cards in, in just plain old Theros. The, the big challenge was the, the heroic decks overlapped with red and white. And then in black and red, there wasn't an overlap because heroic, if, if I remember correctly, only appeared on one card in black and it was at rare. 
So you weren't really looking to be heroic with black. Instead, what you were looking to do was play off of that devotion mechanic. So most of your black decks actually wanted to be playing 10 swamps and heavy black so you could get as many black mana symbols in play as possible and then kill your opponent with those. And then you'd kind of use your secondary color for, well, I don't care, whatever's open, we'll deal with it, and maybe get a couple removal spells and big creatures out of that color. Mm-hmm. Um, then uh, there's uh, the mono black, or not really mono black, but I think you alluded to it here, where you're black anything devotion. Um, mm-hmm. This is the this is really just Gray Merchant and Friends. So mm-hmm. uh, Gary the Gray Merchant is... Uh, I'm going to read this off. I'm going to do this from memory. It was a 2-4 for 4 mana, 2 black black. When it entered the battlefield, it drained your opponent for your black devotion. So on its own, it was a 2-4 for 4. You gain 2, your opponent loses 2. Where they were good is in multiples. And in any kind of base black deck, you were playing this. Uh, The life swing was always good, even if you were only draining for 2. It was a 4-point life swing. But where it became really good is where you could kind of checkmate your opponent in three turns without them knowing it where you could flood the board you know in your first few turns and you're like well i have two gray merchants in hand i can hit you for eight and then hit you for ten and this game is over i just have to survive for two turns and the life gain kind of helped you do that everything that dave said about this card is correct except for the casting cost was it three black black it's three black black which would make you think it's not as good as he's discussing, but it is. Mm-hmm. The card was just great. It costing five was actually a bonus because it made you wait to cast the darn thing. You couldn't make any mistakes. Exact, yeah, you couldn't make mistakes with it. You needed to wait and cast this later. But that was the card that made you want to have so much, so heavy a commitment to black. There was also Disciple of Phoenix, uh, which helped you get there. And that's the card you usually cast the turn before you cast Gary, which is two black black for a one three. Your opponent reveals cards from their hand equal to your devotion to black. You choose one and they discard it. So you get a one three, you peel a card from their hand, you get two black pips, and then you slam Gary the next turn and drain him for four. Uh, The cards are just bonkers. There was a, like, I often did this with green black because there were some just solid, good green black gold cards uh, Farika's Mender was like a 4-3 Gravedigger for 5 green-black, so 5 mana total. Uh, but I remember that card being quite good and an excuse to get in here because you could play your Gary, drain them, then get them, you know, have it die in combat, buy it back, cast it again. Like, you just wanted to be playing as many Grey Merchants as you possibly could be. And in Triple Theros, you've got a real opportunity to get two or three of these. The unbeatable Reaper of the Wilds, the the rare 2-black-green for a 4-5, uh, it had the it, black to give it death touch until end of turn, and then one in a green to give it hexproof until end of turn. There's just no way you could kill that. Stupid thing was unbeatable. Um, and then and then uh, tacked onto that, whenever another creature died, you got to scry one. So it's like if your opponent stuck this on turn four, you're just you're just toast. So lots of reasons to be black green. I actually kind of like that. Uh, maybe I'll try to do that. Draft. I don't think I ever did draft black green, mostly because I never opened a Reaper of the Wilds. I lost to it a lot though. Freakas Mender, like I said, it's an uncommon, but three black green for a four three. When it enters the battlefield, you grave dig at a creature or an enchantment. Like the card was just good at uncommon. I was usually pretty happy with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then last, I want to give an honorable mention to the blue black control. Um, this is usually gray merchant and a bunch of things that block until you can play your gray merchants. Um, but there was, you know, your discard spells, your um, your counter spells, your your removal in black and things like that. Um, a lot of the black creatures had higher toughness than, than power. Uh, so like your, your three drops were not as good. Um, but then you did have the, which 
maybe I don't know if it's one of the best bestow creatures, but the black bestow creature that gives death touch yeah, was pretty it was good. Great. It's um, basically <laughs> essentially giving it two lives on your death touch. So you could kill a lot of things in, in blue black and control the board. And if you're lucky to pick up one of the blue or black kind of bomb rares, uh, or heaven forbid an Ashiok, uh, it could have been a pretty good archetype. But the problem was, is that I don't think there was a ton of support for just straight up blue black control on its own. Um, that kind of came later in the in the format in the other packs. Yeah, there wasn't really enough like good quality removal spells. Uh, like if you go through and look at the removal spells in the set, you'll begin to see what I mean. That it, it was actually quite difficult to pull that off. M- most of my memories of blue black in this set involve using voyages in to bounce my own gray merchant at the end of their turn. Mm-hmm. Just so that I could drain them for that last five. That's a valid control control strategy too, though, right? It's it's and and the problem with this is that everybody's fighting over the gray merchants if they know anything about the format, right? You're either taking your your white one and two drops and your ordeals, or you're taking gray merchants. Those are kind of like the easiest lanes to force. Um, or if you're super smart, you're taking Nimbus Nyads and Nessie and Asps. But, that's true you too. Know, if you want to be like Dave, you can be. <laughs> I don't know. I think like I think the three gray merchant deck was like just stupid good and usually very good and usually stupid consistent too right i think like all formats though i think consistency is the key so if you're going to do one thing do it really well um so like if if you're if you're going to try to force the heroic deck you know make sure you're picking up all of the good heroic cards and sometimes that means like being an adult about things and and not taking a like a flashy five drop or flashy six drop if you're white green for example and you're like i just need to like take a solid like combat trick or i need to take a solid god's god's willing or whatever it was um or if you're playing devotion like black devotion for example it's just like you just snap every gray merchant up it doesn't matter what else is in the pack and you kind of have to make sure that you're you're trying to do that really really well but then also for example you need to look for reasons to or or, sorry uh cards that will give you more devotion to black um so the cards that maybe don't look good on the surface like um the one three for four mana you're like, man, why would I ever play this? Like my opponent's just going to reveal two cards and, and, uh, and I get to pick a land out of their hand or something like that. It's more like, yes, that plus it's like Gary's best friend. Right. And you, and you kind of have to suck it up and just play bad black creatures sometimes. Not that that one is bad, but you'll, you'll play a two, three for three in black because you need to get there. And if you get into a board stall, it's an extra point of life drain. So, um, just make sure you're doing those things really well. And I think, those style of consistent decks will win more frequently than not. Agree. Agree. Okay. I want to go through and talk about some specific cards that are really good in the archetypes. I like it. Do you want to just go like color order like we usually do? Yeah. Yeah. And we've, we've mentioned some of them, but I, I want to make sure we, we kind of get some of the hits in um, a, a big one. And this was almost the title of the episode was divine verdict. Like we've played with this in Ixalan and it's not my favorite spell. This is actually one of your better removal spells in white in this format, which is going to tell you something. It was not uncommon to have two of these in your decks. It played awkwardly with the heroic stuff because they still get the block in. But if you can incentivize them to race, something like Divine Verdict was fine. But remember that this is in the format and you'll need to be playing around this. If your opponent leaves four mana up and, you know, suspiciously makes an attack where you could crack back they may have divine verdict. Yeah. It was really good for dealing with those Voltron creatures, which is kind of funny. You'd have this like enchanted creature with five or six things on it, and then you'd blow it up and all those things would fall off and make a bunch of little one ones and two twos. Yeah. And then you could handle those much easier. Exactly. 
Hopeful Eidolon is on my list as well as a card that initially didn't look very good, but just was. It's one mana for a 1-1 one, one lifelink, or you can bestow it for three and a white. So playing this on turn one, getting in two points of damage and gaining two life is pretty good, considering you can then bestow on top of it and make this the basis for your battleship. Or if you top deck it later and you've got a battleship going or a heroic creature that you need to get a trigger on, it can do that for four mana. And the lifelink is surprisingly relevant in a race. So Hopeful Eidolon looked like when I first saw this set, kind of a throwaway card, but getting to play with it, it was just exceptionally powerful. This might have been my most drafted card on Magic Online in this set. <laughs> I could believe it. It's really good. It's really good, and it's a common, obviously. Um, and people would often like take, obviously, like God's Willing and um, and cards like that over over top of this, obviously. So it's not the best white common, um, but as a role player, it does a lot of things. You might look at it and you might say to yourself, "I'm never going to cast this on turn one." And you would be mistaken Um, where you want to cast it on turn one is if you have an ordeal in hand on two mana, obviously then it becomes very good. Um, Or if you have other things to bestow on it, but I look at it, it's very close to Squire's devotion um, in a way. So you get your plus one, plus one, you get your lifelink. And then at the end of the day, you will end up with a one, one at the end of it um, that you can bestow onto again later. So the flexibility on this card makes it very, very good and, and don't sleep on it. I would love to have, you know, if I could go from here to the end of time, guaranteed that I would have two or three of these in every white deck that I played in Theros, I would be very, very happy. Yeah, agree. It was that good. I'm, I'm only going to mention this in the white card. There's some green cards that do this too, but this is worth being aware of. Um, Ray of Dissolution is two and a white for an instant destroy target enchantment. You gain three life. All of the bestow creatures are enchantments and creatures regardless of where they are. So like if your opponent has a hopeful Eidolon in play, it's an enchantment, even if it's just a creature there by itself. So this is kind of your other best removal spell in white. Also knocking off an ordeal, even if they've already got two counters, but stopping them from getting the effect can be a huge deal or killing a bestow creature. If they attack with a five, five that they've kind of built this Voltron and you've got your own five, five blowing up one of their pieces while you're in combat is a pretty big deal. So enchantment removal, you would main deck, one, maybe two of these, and then be happy to have more to sideboard in. Because it's really only the the black base decks that it wasn't good against. Yeah, and even then the black base decks were playing other colors. You're you're yeah. usually going to have a target for this, but you can side it out, obviously. Um, yeah, main deck all of your enchantment removal. I mean, all is a relative term, but like pick up enchantment removal and make sure that you play it. Yeah, I agree. Were there any other white cards that we didn't mention that you thought deserved to be on the list of discussion? Um Vanquish the Foul seems like it would be good, but it's too expensive, even with the extra scry. Um, sometimes you're just going to have to side it in, though. So if it's late in a pack, don't feel bad about taking it and putting it into the sideboard. But it does deal with the green monstrous decks quite nicely. It's just very, very expensive. This doesn't go in your sideboard. You main deck the first one. Uh, it's five and a white for a sorcery, destroy target creature with power for a greater scry one. That's just the level of removal that you get here. If your opponent has stacked up a huge thing, you need to be able to take it out. Uh, Green and red have such big stuff, and then even white can get big by lumping a bunch of things onto one creature that I would main deck the first copy of this and then take it out if you're facing a very aggressive red-white deck. Um... Aside from that, I don't think we... I think we talked about everything else in kind of the, uh, the archetype discussion. Just scrolling back through here. Um, there's a Dauntless Onslaught, which is uh, a combat trick that targets two creatures. It's kind of your expensive enabler for, for two creatures. 
Um, but be aware of that is that, you know, it will get played. Um, and if, if your opponent is a, is a heavy, uh, heavy heroic deck in white, it's possible that they kind of blow you out with a, with a three for one with this, just be aware. I mean, you're probably not blocking a lot of things anyway, if your opponent is making suspicious attacks because of God's willing, a lot of other combat tricks. So it's easy to play around accidentally. Um, but just, just be aware of that. There's a combat trick in every color, uh, at uncommon that targets two creatures, uh, Dauntless Onslaught's the white one, two and a white for an instant. Two target creatures get plus two, plus two until end of turn. The way to play around these is when your opponent attacks with two heroic creatures to block one of them. Just Or just double block it. Yeah, or double block one instead mm-hmm. of single block, blocking each one. So like those are ways that you can kind of interact with these cards is either trade life total for it or just you know, put it in front of them so that they're just dealing you extra damage instead of getting you with it. Now, depending on what the creature that they're playing it on, like if it's the dude that prevents combat damage, like obviously don't double block that one. Yep. But all, all of them have these, they, they play better than they look and they look, look pretty okay to me. Yeah. Um, covered a lot of the blue cards I wanted to cover already. Um, there's dissolve at uncommon one blue, blue counter target spell scry one. It's amazing that adding scry one to cancel moves it from common to uncommon and from not super happy to play to, yeah, I'm pretty interested in this. Yeah. I'm pretty happy with the, with the dissolve usually, especially because, um, it deals with the bestow quite nicely. Like normally, like your opponent plays a bestow and you're like, Oh, I'll remove your creature in response. They still get the bestow creature just as a creature dissolve and, and things like that like a null for example um can just get them straight up yeah i ended up not main decking a null very often uh just because the positions where it was useful were, were not all that great but dissolve i felt like was and there were other things you could do at instant speed such as griptide uh, uh, which yes. is a card i liked a lot at three and a blue instant put target creature on top of its owner's library the best feeling is to do this in response to your opponent cracking their traveler's amulet <laughs> shuffle it away yeah just shuffle it right away you know what it's funny because this is run aground and yet mm-hmm. we haven't talked about running aground and a, a creature when your opponent uses a traveler's amulet or an evolving wilds yeah because you'd have to be playing rivals to do that and i'd like to avoid that if at all possible i just find it funny that we we bring it up here and we never talked about it once in all of our playing with rivals yeah. Which is weird. That's Maybe funny. that's just because of the speed of the format. Do you know what I mean? Like, You're probably right. Right? Like, um, despite being able to snowball in this format, it's probably a little slower overall because you will get into board stalls and you will have death touch creatures and things like that. It may also be because this one has some shuffle effects in the same set. Whereas with Rivals, the shuffle effects came in the smaller set afterwards. So we got one pack of grip tides and two packs of shuffle effects. But yeah, you can still bump into that. Sure. I also wanted to mention Demonic Wall yes. because it's a little bit of a trap in this set. Um, it's four and a blue for an 0-4 defender. When it enters the battlefield, return target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand. There's a lot of formats, including the... What was the set we just played? Iconic Masters? Yeah, where it was very good. Where it was very, very good. And it's actually not that good in Theros. The reason being, a lot of your non-creature slots are taken up by enchantments rather than instants or sorceries. And the instants and sorceries that you have, many of them aren't super amazing or impactful. Like Griptide is one of the better things to get back with this. So like 
if you've got a red deck and you got lucky and got three lightning strikes and you're playing red blue anyway, sure, go for it. Put the mnemonic wall in there. But if you played that iconic master set and you're like, ooh, I opened a mnemonic wall, I'm going to get this and build around it. It's going to be sweet. That's not what's going to happen. You're going to end up with a five mana 04 defender in your deck. Yeah, you need you need a very specific deck to do that. So just be aware of that. Don't fall into the trap. This is a late pick more than an early pick. Correct. Uh, sea God's Revenge needs to be talked about. Mm-hmm. Now, I ended up not liking River's Rebuke as much as a lot of people did in Ixalan. Although, I mean, it was playable. It could even border into good. But Sea God's Revenge is bonkers because of the way this format works. It's five and a blue, return up to three target creatures your opponent control to their owner's hands, scry one. If your opponents have been building on to certain creatures, they're not likely to have more than three creatures in play. So it's kind of like bounce their team, ruin all of these bestows that they have, leave them with a couple of grizzly bears and one ones, and then you can start cracking with your big green creatures. But at least that's what I did with it. Uh, But Sea God's Revenge is something I actively wanted one of in my blue decks. And it was another card that was great to have with blue as a support color, because by the time you get to six mana, you probably got that one blue. Mm-hmm. What about uh, Sea Lock Monster? Were you a fan of Sea Lock Monster? It, it was okay. It's three blue, blue for a five, five. Can't attack unless defending player controls an island. You can monstrosity it for seven. It becomes an eight, eight, and you turn one of their lands into an island. Uh, it's an uncommon, and it was kind of a big thing for blue was very good obviously if you could just cast a five mana five five in blue and attack the thing was is it was just never quite as good as nessie and asp so like i could get this effect from other colors and have the flexibility of being able to attack or block not just kind of be stymied there so i was never super big on this card yeah this would kind of be like your blue black control finisher if you were short on gary's um i just mentioned it like because we mentioned the blue black control where this can be a finisher but it it takes a very specific deck i think to want to play it and you have to be afraid to not trade it off i do remember playing it once or twice and being happy with it uh, but i do remember playing it a bunch of other times and not being happy with it so yeah i I like cards that like if the board state is correct i can begin to close out a game with them like even in my blue black control deck if i've got a couple of grizzly bears in in play and my opponent doesn't it's a benefit to be attacking with Mm -hmm. them uh, I think that's most of what I wanted to cover here. We've talked about Voyages End. Um, it, it's worth mentioning Triton Tactics. I really like Triton Tactics, to be honest. It, early in the format, I think a lot of people didn't like it. And then late in the format, I think people started to to play it more and more. Um, but if you if you played this in combination, for example, with a Wave Crash Triton or like any good white heroic creature, um, this was a very cheap enabler for your heroic Plus, it was you could often eat your opponent's creatures with this because of the untap effect. Um, and blue had the like effects like, you know, put a creature to sleep, things like that. Um, you can certainly abuse this card in the right blue based heroic deck. And you can abuse this card in any blue deck. Like that's that's mm-hmm. the thing is like it's just a good card and then put it in a heroic deck and it gets better. It's blue for an instant untap up to two target creatures. They get plus O plus three. At the at at this turn's next end of combat, tap each creature that was blocked by one of those creatures this turn, and it doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step, which is a weird way of saying we're going to keep you tapped down, but it even gets vigilance creatures, the, the yeah. way the, the wording works here. So I remember like one of my favorite things to do was Triton Tactics with Wave Crash Tritons, 
which is two and a blue for a one four with heroic uh, put a put a creature to sleep where you could tap their entire team. They would attack, right? You would untap some things, block some things, maybe eat something or at least put them to sleep, like tap them down permanently in combination with the wave crash Triton that would also put another thing to sleep. And your opponent basically wasn't untapping anything the next turn. Um, and then, you know, it was like time walking your opponent and sometimes you could just close out the game. I remember seeing um, kind of a combination red, blue, uh, you know, this tap effect style with very aggressive red cards um, where you could close out a game just by getting to turn four or turn five and uh, and tapping down three or four things on, on one turn. It was very good. Mm-hmm. It'd be a good strategy. Mm-hmm. Any other blue cards that I missed? Uh, there was one. I'm going to scroll back up and see. Where is it here? Breaching Hippocamp. I only want to mention it, not because it's good or because it's bad, but because it does not have flying. I I, I yeah. would mention it because it, it looks a lot better than it is, and it doesn't look that good. Uh, it's three and a blue for a three, two flash. When it enters the battlefield, untap another target creature you control. It does look like it might have flying, and some people have made that mistake just looking at the art. But like four mana for a three, two means that you're not flashing this in to trade with anything. It's like, or to eat anything like that just doesn't work. The, the body was not particularly well costed to play against heroic or against the big things. So it's, it's a four mana three, two in a world of little guys that are just going to eat it and big guys that are just going to eat it. And then the untap yeah. one of your other dudes just ended up not being good enough. Um, so I, I actually rated this a D in my set review because I was always unhappy when I was playing a hippocamp. Mm-hmm. But if you give it a flying, it's a very good card. How? If it's, it's if, if it's a four mana three, two flash flyer that untaps a creature oh. you control. Yeah, if it was just <laughs> printed on the card that way. Yeah, it'd be great. That's what I mean. Scrolling past this, and I know people, I've done it before too, where I'm like, oh, sweet, this thing flies. It does not fly. Just be very aware of that, that the art, and this will get people. I guarantee you in this format, in the flashback, people that haven't played this set will look at this card, see the F for flash, and see the art, and think that it flies. Yep. Just be yep. hyper Fair aware enough. of that. Fair enough. It's it's not good. Just don't play it. Just You'll don't be play better it. off. Mm-hmm. In black, we talked a little bit about Baleful Eidolon, but I want to call it out on its own. It's one in a black for a 1-1 one, one death touch. You can bestow it for four in a black, which would give another creature plus one, plus one in death touch. And then when it dies, this falls off as a 1-1 one, one death touch. So you've got the flexibility of turn two, you need to block something. You can just play this and make that happen. Late in the game, you would often bestow this on your smallest creature, a leftover token, a leftover 2-2 that wasn't doing much so that you could block something big, kill it, and then have it die into another 1-1 that can do the same thing again. So the card was very flexible as a, a base for bestowing on, as something to trade with. Like It was just good whatever point you cast it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll mention, I'm not going to go into them in detail, but there's a combat trick in one of the cycling enchantments in black. Those were actually worse in black than any of the other colors because black has two heroic creatures, one of which is not good, the other of which is rare. So if you end up with the rare uh, heroic dude, by all means, take these. But if if you're looking to just jam combat tricks and the cycling enchantments in black, you're going to be kind of disappointed with the result because you're not getting the heroic triggers with them that the other colors are. Um, Let's see. What else did I want to go through here? We actually talked about a lot of these. Uh, The Gorgon was one I wanted to talk about. Keepsake Gorgon. It's an uncommon, but it's three black black for a two five death touch. It has monstrous for seven. It's monstrosity one. 
spend seven mana and put a plus one plus one counter on this. But when it becomes monstrous, you destroy target non-Gorgon creature and opponent controls. So it's a huge stop sign with Death Touch that's just going to eat three threes and four fours. And then if you survive long enough and can dump some more mana in it, you just get to kill something and then have a three six Death Touch and nothing's killing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, this is a this is a very good card. Uh, two five with Death Touch on its own is I think very good in this format too. It just blocks so many things. And if you have to trade it with, uh, with a Voltron creature, you can do that too if you don't have the mana to monstrous it. The threat of activation is very good on it too. So like I remember once in a while I wouldn't even destroy something if I had something else to do. Like I would hold up the seven mana and then monster something else and just wait. And uh, because my opponent was holding on to cards that they didn't want to lose to the Gorgon, for example. So sometimes just the threat of activation is good enough, but you were always destroying something good with this card. Mm-hmm. It's a good card. Lash of the Whip is sadly pretty good removal for black in this set. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's four and a black for an instant target creature gets neg four, neg four until end of turn. We got this for two mana in Grasp of Darkness a long time ago and recently, but now we pay five mana for it. And you often use this as a combat trick to shrink your opponent's creature that was too big for you to kill into something that you could kill. But like, remember that this is here. This is something that your opponent can do. And this is what passes for removal in a set. There's also Sip of Hemlock at six mana. Destroy target creature. Its uh, controller loses two life, I, I believe is what that one does. So be aware that, yeah, that's what it does. Beware that there is unconditional removal, but it's at six mana. Yeah, and, and that's just what you had to play. Yeah, because that's all you get. Uh, another quick skim through of black. There's some good black cards in here. Mogus's Marauder was two and a black for a 2-2. When it enters the battlefield, X target creatures gain Intimidate and Haste. X is your devotion to black. So when you play this, it's attacking as a 2-2 Intimidate. Because you can at least give it Haste and Intimidate. But any other black pips you have on the table are basically turning those creatures into intimidate creatures. Intimidate means it can only be blocked by creatures that share a color with it or artifact creatures. So this was kind of a great way to force through some damage, usually in a red black deck, but any black heavy deck that's looking to win by dealing damage was pretty happy with this card. Yep. Read the bones would be unfair not to mention this card. It's two in a black for a sorcery. Scry two, then draw two cards, you lose two life. Why is this better than Divination? It's the Scry, silly. Especially in a format with 18 lands. Yeah, so if you're playing 17 or 18 lands, you basically get the opportunity to look look at up to four cards uh, with Read the Bones as opposed to two. So if you need lands, you can find them. If you don't need lands, you can find action. So Read the Bones was quite good. The, The two life loss is impactful in this format because there are some aggressive decks. But this was like when Dave mentioned blue-black control, this is one of the glue cards for that archetype. You would probably play two of these in that deck. Absolutely. Anything else in black that we should definitely talk about? I usually like the return phalanx if I was playing blue. Uh, because yeah, because bad. a 3-3 three, three could block a lot of things early. Like if you're on the play and you can get out in front of your opponent's heroic creatures, um, so this is a kind of a role player in that but obviously you're not playing it unless you're playing blue. It's a one and a black for a three, three with defender and you can pay one and a blue to make it uh, able to attack this turn. I played it in some of my black green decks. Um, One thing that we're not really touching on, but I I will, when I get to artifacts is that there weren't a lot of good two drops in the format. Mm -hmm. There were some good ones and some great threes, but the twos were kind of lackluster, at least at common. Uh, So I I ended up playing this sometimes in decks that couldn't activate it just because I needed something to block. Yeah. 
But you're you're right. It was far better in blue. I think that's it for black, though. Okay. Um, for red, I wanted to talk about arena athlete, which is one in red for a two one heroic uh, target creature and opponent controls can't block this turn. So again, your opponent's playing some death touchers or they're playing big creatures to try to block you. Sometimes just getting one out of the way could be significant. And this is a repeatable effect as long as you can continue casting spells that target it. So the arena athlete was actually pretty good. It's an uncommon. Um, Borderland Minotaur is here at common. I mentioned that because this is my favorite magic card. Uh, It's two red red for a four three with flavor text. It's good on turn four and it's not terrible on turn six. Um, Don't draft these very highly, but it it makes me happy that it's here. Mm -hmm. Coordinated Assault is the combat trick your mama warned you about. Do you remember this one, Dave? Best combat trick in the format. Easy. Yep. It's red for an instant up to two target creatures. Each get plus one, plus O, and gain first strike until end of turn. Yeah, what frequently happened here is you lost your board on turn four, and your opponent had like a 4-4 and a 3-3 attacking you the next turn. Mm Mm-hmm. It was absolutely terrifying. Again, the only way to really play around this is to double block one of those creatures if you can, or to only block one of them. The worst case scenario, if they're attacking, you know, their two, two heroic dudes into your three threes is you block each of them. And then you're just absolutely blown out for one mana and they'll cast something else. This card is very good. There's a reason it's uncommon. Yeah. You got to play around these, these types of spells in this format. Mm-hmm. Got to be aware of it and play around it. Uh, Ill-Tempered Cyclops is not really like an amazing card, but it was a pretty good red common. And if this was your four drop slot and you had like two or three of them, you, you weren't unhappy. It's three and a red for a three, three trample. And it has monstrosity three for six. Yeah, this is like, this is just a solid, solid card. Like if you had a bunch of these in your deck, you're not sad about it because sometimes they're three threes on turn four and sometimes they're six sixes on turn like 13. Um, and, and both sides of them, I think are good enough uh, for the, for the slot that it takes in your deck. B- believe it or not, a six, six trample can be very big in this format because monstrous is instant one of the things that i like to do obviously is you could have two of these guys attack with both and your opponent couldn't block right because you would just monstrous the one that they blocked um or if they block both you could potentially blow them out with a combat trick like we talked about above but you could always choose to monstrous the the better one or the one that would be more favorable to you which meant your opponent's blocks were worse and then you mm-hmm. also have the option of just not monstering either of them and playing a six drop or something like that. So they, they give you flexibility. They give you options and unchecked a six, six trampler can get out of control. Yeah. Big fan of this guy. I, I had honestly forgotten about that play pattern where you have two monstrous creatures and attack with both of them and how miserable that is for your opponent. Yeah. Just again, watch for like divine verdict or lash of the whip or something like that. But like it, it was not uncommon to attack with two of these. They don't block them because they're scared you're going to monstrous. And you're like, you know what? Fine, take nine. Next turn, I'll attack with both of them again. And you can take 12 if you want to. Nine plus 12 is 21. Like how how long are we going to play this game? Yep. Cyclopses were good. Lightning strike we've seen in the last set. And uh, this is where it came from. One in red, instant three damage to target creature or player. Remember the complaining and the moaning about how we didn't get lightning bolt anymore? And now we're happy to get yeah. lightning strike. <laughs> my how times have changed yeah. i mean um, it's it's solid it's solid it's 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 at common instead of uncommon which is different from ixalan however unlike ixalan this doesn't kill everything in the format 
Like an Ixalan, unless your opponent's playing some dinosaurs, this was just to terminate. Uh, whereas here, there are little creatures and there are big creatures, and there's a, a huge gulf between them. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some decks where you're playing this, and at some point you've got to recognize this is three damage to your opponent's face. This is one of the cards I was probably happiest to see on the play because or sorry on the on the draw because you could usually get your opponent's creature before it got out of control if they went one drop into some kind of ordeal or something like that sometimes you'd be able to get it before it got out of control agree next up for me was spear point oriad uh this is similar to the white one we saw earlier it's two and a red for a two two first strike you can bestow it for six this one's very good. 2-2 First Striker is surprisingly good, especially against Death Touchers, and it's a good thing to build on. And the bestow cost is is it's fine. Like it's a it's a good top deck later to turn your Nessian Asp into a ridiculous like 7-6 first strike or something like that if it's not monstrous yet. Yeah, or put this on your own Death Toucher, mm-hmm. right? Like we've got Death Touchers in green and black. You can get a first strike death touch pretty easily. Uh so there's there's a lot of stuff you can do with that. Uh, and then lastly, in red for me, worth a mention, just because of the potential of this card, is the two-headed Cerebus. It, it's hard to get going, but if you can do it, I've won some games with this guy. It's one red-red for a one-two double strike. In a format that's all about building onto one creature, having one with double strike, even if it's hard to cast and even if it's not great on the front side, can lead you to some really disgusting blowouts. This is kind of best friends with the card before it too, Titan Strength, which is, I think, a card we should mention because you will lose games to Titan Strength out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, one red for uh, a combat trick that's plus three, plus one and Scry, which quite frequently in the heroic deck is plus four, plus two Scry one. Yeah. Um, which wins a lot of combats. Yeah. And it, it certainly works there. And then my favorite thing to do with the Cerebus was to play it in blue red and just put the flyer on it. And then all of a sudden I functionally be built a six power uh, flyer that you're going to have a really hard time interacting with and just kill you with it. On uh, turn five with haste, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you like, imagine you do that and you hit them for six and then next turn you have a Titan strength in hand and swing for lethal. Yeah. I'm going to lose a lot of games. They're just dead. They're just dead. <laughs> Did I miss any red cards that you liked? No, that's it. Let's uh, jump right into green here. Okay, we'll do green and wrap us up. Um, we talked about the Agent of Horizons already, so I'll skip over that one. I'm I'm going to read, <clears throat> pardon me, the Centaur Battlemaster as an example of all of the green heroic creatures, and then I'm going to tell you why I didn't like any of them and avoided playing them if at all possible, and also allow that I'm going to lose to them. So this is three green green for a three three. That is horrifically costed, right? This is a terrible blocker. It has heroic put three plus one plus one counters on it. So if if you could get to a point where you could play this, untap and target it, you've built a huge creature that's only going to get bigger throughout the course of the game. And I've absolutely lost to people putting aqueous form on this and then casting another enchantment on it and just swinging for you know 10 that turn. It can be ridiculous. The problem is if you ever are in a position where you need to block, all of the green heroic creatures follow this pattern where you're like paying four mana for a two, two, but as soon as you target it, it gets plus two, plus two. And it just builds from there. Like they were so good when you were ahead that they're just going to slam a door shut. They weren't that great at parody. They were okay. Just kind of arbitrarily large. And they were so bad when you were behind that I didn't like them. So I avoided all of the green heroic 
creatures kind of like the plague, but it, it's okay to go in on this strategy. If you like those higher variant strategies, if you thought blood mist was a cool card, when we were drafting Eldritch Moon, you're going to love these green heroic creatures. Yeah, definitely goes better in the in the blue green evasive style decks. Um, I think my problem with these ones is that at least with the cheap ones, if your opponent spent uh, removal on it, they were usually spending more than the mana cost that you paid into it. Um, right. So like unless you got hit with a lightning strike early, but if your opponent like is using like a sip of hemlock on your two drop that was bestowed, you're like you're pretty happy about that. But here, there's a lot of things that kill Centaur Battlemaster that don't put you ahead. Um, and and I think that was probably my main problem with this one specifically. And it's just a general, because the creature is worse for for more mana, uh, just a general problem with these in overall. Well, and the same thing, like the white creature started smaller, but came out sooner, right? So if I play a Wingsteed Rider and then have two turns to target it, by the time you get this out, you're just so far behind that the three, three doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. And when you start swinging, I'll just chump it for a couple turns while you're dead. So I'd, I'd like I said, I'd, I tended not to care for these and, and wanted to mention that. Mm-hmm. Um, we've mentioned leaf crown dryad a bit. I should go ahead and call it out. It's a common one in a green for a two, two with reach. It has bestow for four. That's pretty good. Uh, we've also talked about Nessie and asp a lot. Um, let's read this one out. This is a, a key role player in your green decks. Uh, may have been one of the better green commons. Four in a green for a four or five reach. Monstrosity four for six in a green. Yeah, this is just, it's so good in the in the five drop spot. The fact that it has five toughness uh, is very good as well. Um, it bounces off of other Nessian Asps, obviously. And the monstrous cost is so reasonable in green. Like seven mana is, like once you're playing a five drop, you'll frequently get to seven mana if you're in a board stall, obviously. So it's very good. Yeah. And a nine, 10, uh, excuse me, an eight, nine reach is pretty dang big. Like yeah. what's getting through that? Nothing. The only downside about this is, um, uh, you frequently didn't want to attack with it because, um, it was so big, but it just got chumped and then your opponent would hit you back with their flying creatures. So it was usually a very defensive creature, but it's still very good. Yeah. Right. In, in a, in a smaller board state, it, it's a, just a, a powerhouse. We should probably also mention Nemesis of Mortals. We kind of skipped over it, but I think this is a, a pretty good card as well, if I remember correctly. It so is. it's four, four green green for a 5-5, five, five, which you think is under under uh, rate. But um, it costs one less, one colorless less for each creature card in your graveyard. And obviously you're going to have creature cards in your graveyard. It's not unreasonable to expect to cast this for four mana on turn five. Um, on top of that, you have a nine mana monstrosity for uh, five, so seven green green for monstrosity five, which also costs one less to activate. And you were frequently activating this for uh, two or three less than you would normally do. So instead of nine mana, it was usually six or seven. So it was a very good rate for what usually turned out to be a 10-10 creature. Now it doesn't have trample, it doesn't have reach, but the fact that you can sometimes power this card out, you know, early in the game and then mon- monstrous it even earlier than you would normally expect, expect I think makes it a very good card. Yeah, and again, if if you can give it flying or give it some form of evasion, this is one that I liked quite a lot in the the blue green deck. Uh, it it could do a great job there. This was usually better than Nessie and Asp, unless you definitely needed to block, in which case you wanted the Asp. Mm-hmm. Um, I I want to briefly mention Nylea's presence, which is one in a green for an enchantment, enchant land. When it enters the battlefield, draw a card. Enchanted land is every basic land type in addition to its other types. This is your splash enabler in green. 
There's also Traveler's Amulet in the artifact slot, which we're all familiar with and we've played with a million times. But it made splashing a little bit easier in green while still adding to green devotion if you had any cards that cared about that. So there wasn't a lot of stuff that was super splash worthy. I mentioned Farika's Mender earlier. If, if I had a Mender and I was playing green red, I might just splash it off of one of these in a Traveler's Amulet and be pretty happy with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Savage Surge is a combat trick you need to be aware that it exists. It's one in a green for an instant. Target creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Untap that creature. One of my favorite combat tricks, actually, I think. It wasn't the most powerful one, but I love the untap effect. Yeah, because it gives you some flexibility as an attacker. If they don't block, then you can just cast it on their turn and block with your dude that they weren't expecting. So if you're, if you're sniffing out a savage surge, the best way to get it is just block with something you don't mind losing and go ahead and make them use it. Uh, but again, we we've seen this combat trick be good in other formats. Like it reminds me of aim high, but just the fact that like heroic exists in this format makes it a, 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 even a notch better. Mm-hmm. Um, time to feed may just be one of the better removal spells in the format. Uh, which is is saying something because again it's overcosted. It's two and a green. Choose target creature and opponent controls. When that creature dies this turn, you gain three life. Target creature you control fights that creature. So this is a three man of prey upon you gain three life if the thing dies. Yep, it's yeah, it's it's good, especially obviously in green with your big creatures. So uh, I, I'd play a couple of these for sure. And then the last green one that I wanted to mention was Voyaging Seder. Uh, one in a green for a one-two, tap it to untap target land. Uh, we've played with Naga Bridalist and Amonkhet, and this fills a similar role here And that you want to land your Nessie and Asps on turn four. Here's your way to do it. Yep, absolutely. It also helps with those double casting costs, which we do see a lot of um, in, in the good kind of common and uncommon creatures, especially in white and green. There's basically two more things I wanted to talk about and wrap us up. And then if Dave's got any, we can launch those in there too. One is an artifact called Bronze Sable, which in most sets would look at, look like something you're just going to laugh at and not be interested in. It's two mana for a 2-1 artifact creature. There's two reasons this is a little bit better than it looks, and I'm not talking about first picking this. I'm talking about when the pack wheels, maybe you want to pick one up. There's not a lot of great two drops in many of the colors outside of white, and there are some intimidate creatures in black. So this is able to block those intimidate creatures, which can be relevant, and it gives you a playable two drop regardless of what color you're playing. Again, it's it's not wonderful, it's not great, but it's not embarrassing to have one of these in your deck when you're like, oh crap, I've got two two drops and we're almost done with the draft. Maybe I'll move one of these bronze sables in from the sideboard and be happy about it. Mm-hmm. We've also, now th- these are going to be phantom drafts that we're doing. But you still get to draft these. Uh, there were the Scry Lands at Rare. There's a, a pair of these, one for red-green, one for blue-black, one for blue-green, one for black-white, and one for red-white. These are good enough that you put them in your deck if you're only playing one of the colors. The Scry was such a big deal that if you can pick one of these up over like a random playable for your color, just play it. And if it happens to fix you for both colors or enable a splash for you, awesome. But it's good enough just as a tap land that says scry one. So if I'm blue and I'm blue red, I'm still very interested in the Temple of Mystery, which is the blue green version. Yeah, you're not picking them super highly, but um, you're pretty happy to get them if you're you're in one of those colors like mid to late in the pack and there's nothing in there. I would take it over like medium playables, right? So like 
let's again use the case that I'm green. I'm going to take Leaf Crown Dryads and Nessie and Asps over it at Common and the Fight Spell. Other than that, I'm going to grab these. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm taking them like at a C plus level if we're going to use a grading scale. Sure. Which is pretty common, I think, for for uh, for that type of fixing. But these ones are rare, so you're usually not making that decision. Like you're, I just I, I just want to make sure I drive home the yeah. fact to people that like you don't have to take these for the fixing. The fact that it scries one is good enough that if you're one of the colors, you should still pick it at that C plus level. Yep. Yeah. No. And it obviously helps with your eighteen lands uh, because of the scry. Yeah. There's just a lot of good things about those. So. Man, I can't wait. You got me excited to draft this format. Yeah, like I said, as soon as these are live, I'm going to start drafting them, and then I'm not going to stop until they take them down. Can't stop, won't stop. It's great. This is my life now. This is your life now. So Wednesday, Mm -hmm. next week. Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday. So for your homework this week then, uh, faithful listener, take a do do some Theros drafts next week and post them to us on Wednesday or Thursday morning before we record next week's podcast and uh, send it to us on Twitter. The Twitter, uh, we have the men from Moto Twitter up and running. So go and check that out. It's at men from Moto. I think that's about it for this week. Unless you got anything else. I'm good. All right. So thanks again for listening and thanks again to men deprived and face to face games.com for uh, the host and the support. Travis, where can they see you drafting Theros next week? You want to see me drafting Theros next week? You can find me at twitch.tv slash Simulan. I'm also on Twitter under the same name. And I will be playing a little bit more Rivals as we finish out this week. Uh, so I've got like a sealed league to finish and probably one more draft in me before I, I just start screaming and decide I need to play something else. So you can catch a little bit more magic this week too. And I am at uh, twitch.tv slash dcivilian, D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N, and Twitter of the same name. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next time. Mike.